the side door. Okay, we have a special guest tonight. She is well known to our community, well loved by our community, but for the first time in the pulpit, here at the table, please welcome Marta Smith. That felt really sporty. That's like the most sporty thing I've done since junior year of high school, when like I technically played volleyball, but like mostly went to a small high school and like they needed bodies to form a team. So like fun. Um, yeah, I'm Marta Smith. I am a board member as of a few weeks ago. Um, been coming to the table with my husband Bradley for about two years, two, yeah, that sounds right. Um, you may recognize me when I come up here, I'm the lady that talks about books. I'm most, so I've brought books to talk about tonight and it's my solemn promise that I will never recommend to you a book that I feel like okay about. I will never be wishy-washy about, in general, I hope, about everything that I recommend to you or anyone is that I like, I really, really stand by it. And I've got a big stack of things that I am really into that I'm really excited to talk about. This summer, we're doing a series um, on this book. It's called Dancing in the Darkness. It's by Otis Moss III. It is so short. It is 122 pages, but it's one of those short books that like you want to like read and stop and think about it, um, which is why we're, we're really parsing out and stretching out these um, short amount of pages across the summer. So there are small groups that are meeting together going over what we're learning from things, and each week we're taking a chapter. So I am um, going to take some time to really unpack this accordion of chapter two. Um, the subtitle of this book is Spiritual Lessons for Thriving in Turbulent Times. And it starts off by asking, is it possible to thrive in turbulent times? And I just want to acknowledge the fact that the fact that you are here in this room means that there must be some part of you that believes, or at the very least hopes to believe, that a gathering like this does something. There's got to be some part of you that believes or hopes to believe that there is always light no matter how dark it gets. And so the specific question within all of that that we're exploring today is how can we consecrate our chaos? That's the chapter title. How can there be beauty and joy in a world that seems to only show off the worst sides of herself? We're going to be holding this question alongside the book that we're studying. Um, and like I said, I've got some other books here that I wholeheartedly recommend. Um, and as we do every week, we're going to hold this along the ancient text of Scripture. And what I love about our community specifically um, is we ask the question is if the story speaks into our lives today. It was written a long time ago. There's a lot of junk and jargon that gets mixed into it. And so we're just going to hold this in. I hope that because you're here you also are a person of hope. And I hope that within these pages, we can find something that connects to our story today. So, consecrating our chaos. Let's define some words here. Moss defines chaos as a true crisis, a threat to someone, to you or someone you love. And so we can use this word really loosely when we talk about chaos. We can talk like the construction on I-94 is chaos and my work email inbox is chaos. And like all of these are very 
valid stressors when my exit to 94 was suddenly closed and now I have to like go all the way around the entire city just to get to the other side of it. That's very annoying and impacted my life for sure. But that's not what we're talking about. That's very lower C case, um, lowercase c chaos. What I'm talking about is more outside of yourself and more into the general world that we're swimming, the water that we swim in. It's the numbness that you might feel when you see a news article flash against your screen about another school shooting, where you just don't really react the same way that you used to to these stories. It's, it's the videos that show up on our social media feed of another black boy being murdered by the police. It's laws passing as soon as this month, as recently as this month, making it unsafe for queer people to exist openly in public as themselves. It's the air that we literally breathe. When I have met with my therapist, she encourages me to like do little things every day that make you feel like yourself. And so one thing that we identified is I feel whole and like myself when I'm reading in my hammock. And I have had to go to her and be like, I can't exist outside because it feels like I'm sitting in the center of a bonfire. Um, it's thing, it doesn't take a big box docu-series to point out the harm and the religious trauma that can come from the evangelical Christian church. We don't need to see this from TLC families and the biggest megachurch in America. The odds are each one of us in this room has experienced the abuse of power within church leadership. There's a lot of capital C chaos in our world. And Moss describes this chaos, this water that we're swimming in, to breed cynicism and despair. I tend to sit more on the cynicism side. My dad is here tonight, and I'll, I feel like a lot of times when we go out to dinner, I'll update him on what's new, and he'll often come back and say, you're very cynical. You're so cynical. And I just want to be like, can you blame me? Look around. Look at everything I just presented to you. Of course I'm cynical. Um, I look at this true capital C chaos, and I meet it with anger. I nitpick at all the little things that are wrong and I probably could do better at. Um, and I just let it fester inside of me. This is not a holy anger. This is not a righteous anger. This is a really cynical, ugly, gross anger. And I just find myself getting very hard and callous to the outside world. Another response that a lot of us can relate to is this feeling of despair. When the pain of this world comes in day in and day out, it is so much easier to just fully disassociate from it rather than continually look it in the eyes. If this, all of these things that we named and more, really is the new normal, then I would rather feel nothing at all than connect to the pain of this current cultural moment. That's chaos. And then we come to this really churchy word, consecrate. Um, Moss has a really beautiful way of describing it, and I will just read it to you from what he says. He says, when you take the confusion and the violence and you refine them and purify them into something new, you are doing what in the vocabulary of faith we call consecrating your chaos. To consecrate is to make holy, to put, service, put it into service for good. 
In consecrating chaos, you engage it, tame it, name it, take what seemed out of control and charge it with a holy duty. And I would strip that even more out of this Christianese and to say, to consecrate the chaos you see, you look it in the eyes and you boldly shine a light where there once was only darkness. And this wild work of consecrating that is written into the fabric of the human story is something that we find all throughout the recorded scriptures. And if we believe or hope to believe that these texts provide meaning to our lives today, we don't need to look further than the first few pages to find it. Genesis is a word that means beginning. All of scripture, but especially the beginning of it, is not something, as I'm sure you all know, it didn't just plop from the sky and land in front of us as this perfect put-together book. This beginning is a story, it's a poem, it's a myth that was born out of a time of capital C chaos. It once was an oral story that was passed down from family to family and generation to generation telling the beginnings of our world and our global collective story. And then it was written down in a time when God's people were left wandering in capital C chaos and capital A anxiety. And so here's how the story starts. In the beginning, God created everything, the heavens above and the earth below, and here's what happened. At first, the earth lacked shape and was totally empty, and a dark fog draped over the waters while God's spirit wind hovered over the surface of the empty waters. Then there was the voice of God. Let there be light. And a light flashed into being, and God saw the light was beautiful and good, and God separated the light from darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. Evening gave way to morning, and that was day one. I wonder what God saw in that space before time. It was something formless, something empty and isolated. Um, I don't believe in gatekeeping biblical Hebrew language. I took two semesters of it. A lot of it is just a lot of hard work, but there's some really, really beautiful words that we get when we only get them from the original language that it was written in. And in this, you know, formless and void pre-world time is the word tohu vavohu. And so here it is up in um, Hebrew and trans transcribed for you in English. This word, um, some of you may be familiar with it, it is written to be like onomatopoeia, so a word that is what it sounds like. It's like a gurgling, it's like a humming, it's almost like the feeling, if unfortunately you're able to relate, like the buzzing in the back of your head before a panic attack. Like you just like feel this electric, nothing, big something inside of you, this tohu vavohu, tohu vavohu, and like it's just a lot of chaos. And it's not as if when God created, if you think of like Fantasia, you know, the classic Mickey Mouse and his wizard hat, and he's standing up there and he's pointing all these stars and he's like far away. We know that that's not what happened according to this text. God's not far away. God is literally hovering over the surface of the waters. And I wonder how close that hovering is. I wonder if as God with her spirit 
um, feathers like glided across the top of the water and that feeling like when you quick touch boiling water if there was any of this reaction. It's close. It's right at the top of this chaos, tohu, vavohu. And God gets God's fingers wet and creates the world, creates light, creates night, creates day. And we know it doesn't stop there. It keeps going with the plants and the animals and the rivers and the mountains and us. All of it came from hovering over this moment of chaos, looking it in the eyes and meeting it with creative joy. I have a hard time believing in a God that would make something just so it could spit back empty puppeted worship. I don't believe that consecrating chaos is an act of vanity. I don't think that consecrating chaos looks as if when you want to take the perfect Instagram picture of your house, but it's just kind of a mess, so you either step up close or you push the messy parts out of the way and then just present this perfect, consecrated, look at me finding beauty and joy in the chaos. Like, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think that it is honest and it is true and I have to believe that if God consecrated and created out of chaos, the purpose has to be not for puppeted, empty worship back, but for the flourishing of community. And I have to believe that if God made people out of tohu vavohu, I have to believe that this power is within, within each of us as well. So let's circle back to our capital C chaos. We too are hovering close above this boiling nothingness, blackness, tohu vohu terror, facing the anxiety that we mentioned before. How do we show up to these moments without cynicism, without cynicism and how do we show up without despair? If you're like me and you're a, a book person, there's this little section before the real book starts, and it's often called a foreword. Some of you may have skipped over this part if you're reading along with this, but I really hope you did it, and I would love to circle back and catch some of the metaphors that Michael Eric Dyson writes to sort of warm us up to this book. He shares a metaphor that isn't, isn't his own metaphor. You may have heard this kind of analogy before, but I think it really sets us up for a good way of moving forward to face our own chaoses. He'd, I'd like you to imagine if we have three pots of boiling water right here. In one of them, we put a carrot. In another, we put an egg. In the other, we put a handful of coffee beans. What happens, Lily, when you boil a carrot? It gets all mushy, and like it used to be really hard, and now, yeah, it just gets really limp like that. That's a very good description. It just kind of loses its structure and integrity and becomes really bendy and can be used for a lot of good things, but what it once was is now the outside is fundamentally changed. The same thing, what happens when you hard boil an egg? Yeah, like the inside, if you cracked a regular egg, it's runny, but if you crack a hard-boiled egg, it's hard. It stays still. So something that once had this flowing loose inside is now a really hard, rigid structure. But when you put coffee beans in water, the structure and integrity of this object 
does not change, but rather it's the boiling water around it that is changed. What does it look like to show up not as an object that can be bending to despair or hardening to chaos, but the consecration of boiling waters makes us like that of a coffee bean? There is an artist, his name is Propaganda. He is a musical artist, he's a writer, he used to be an English teacher. Um, has this book called Terraform, and in it is this beautiful poem called If Coffee Were a Man. It's a very long poem, so I won't read the whole thing to you, but I strongly encourage you to look it up on your own time because the way he does it is way better than I could ever do it. But I'd love to share with you some of what he shares. He writes, if coffee were a man, it'd be a black man, joyous, welcoming, warm, life-giving. It's not for everyone. It's an acquired taste, bold, adaptable. He'd give himself for your good, share the fruits of his grind and sweat. Neither heat nor pressure would scare him. He would and does flourish come hell and hot water. He'd welcome both for he knows it brings out what's best in him. If coffee were a woman, she'd be a black woman. Strong, beautiful, delicate, elegant, well-traveled, complex, actually exponentially more complex than fine wine. If coffee were a mother, she would lead well, would say that there's a way that we could make art together. Beautiful lattes, swirling flowers, lovely swans where black, white, and brown dance and make blossoms. And we could cold brew up experiments with mocha, nitrogen, where bitter and sweet harmonize their beautiful notes. If coffee were a person, Coffee would say there's a fourth way, that black, brown, and white can dance again, as curious and magical as morning dew, an espresso. We could go in and uplift each other. They would say, we have, we have gifts and so do you. Let us not be elitist. We are coffee by the people, for the people. Fourth way coffee is for the people. This pressure, the grind, the heat, the time, it has the potential to do something if we put ourselves in a position to change the environment around us. There's another book that I love by Karen Walrun. She's a friend of Brene Brown. Um, she's written The Lightmaker's Manifesto, How to Work for Change Without Losing Your Joy. And she writes, there's no one way to change the world. The world changes when we take inspiration from all different forms of good work and light and make them our own. In the chaos, there are movements of consecration that you can make your own. Moments when people show up as their whole selves and hover above and within these boiling waters, the chaos consecrates and turns into something enriching and energizing. I think about when it comes to responding to homophobia and transphobia. I went to college in this very small, conservative town where a community leader checked out the kids' books um, that had queer representation in them and burned them on a Facebook Live. And as far as I know, met little to no consequences. And within a community like that, the leaders looked at each other, the small but few queer leaders said, we need a pride celebration, something for our own town that we can call our own. So every October for, um, in around coming out uh, day, there's an Orange City Pride Festival and it is small 
and it is weird, and there's a drag show, and it is one of my favorite parts of the whole year, and it's met with protest every year, but it's a chance for people to say, we exist, and we're here, we're gonna consecrate this chaos and show up as ourselves. I look at the response to racism in our city and I think about um, an organization that our community supports called Render Free. It's an organization that focuses on the restoration, wholeness, creativity, and flourishing for black and brown women in a world that says you need to show up and teach us how to take care of you and you're too much or you're not enough. It's a space for black and brown women to just exist and be in community with each other to have creativity and flourishing and honest pain in the midst of capital C chaos. I look at responses to religious trauma and I see the good and beautiful work of the deconstruction movement. Instead of staying strong and put together, I think about the holiness of being cracked open. If you think about, you know, when you make coffee in the morning, you're not sticking whole beans into your coffee maker, it takes something ground up and broken down and sometimes as absolutely fine as it can get. And it's only from being broken down that we are able to get something so potent and beautiful. One more Karen quote for you is she writes, joy and gratitude are the most important practices to cultivate in order to establish longevity in our marches toward justice and we do it in community, well, that's true celebration. Joy and gratitude, spiritually uplifting, socially connected form. If I had the chance, tonight I would sit here with my Chemex and I would make a pour over for each of you. I would hover over the ground up beans. Currently at my house, we're rocking Jimmy Butler's blend. It's very expensive, but very good. Um, and I would watch it bloom with you. To borrow a line from my favorite poet, Mary Oliver, you could tell me about despair, yours, and I would tell you mine. But that's not what we do here every week. Instead, we come together at the end of each week to fuel up. We meet together at the table of Christ before the light has even cracked for dawn and prepare for the long day ahead of us as we wait for the sun to come up. We do it together and we do it with joy. So tonight, when you come forward for communion, if you would like to, I would encourage you to dip your hands into this bowl of coffee beans. It's a potent thing. And I want, um, let it fill up your hands and start percolating within you what holy work you can do when you meet the chaos around you this week. If you aren't into the smell of coffee, that's totally fine. Maybe this is a chance for you to hover your hand above the waters of chaos, starting to do the consecrating holy latte art around you. There is no doubt about the chaos around us that is boiling. I wonder if we can have the joy and the bravery to show up as ourselves within it. Amen. You guys help me thank Marta for just an awesome, awesome, so good. So anyone who's heard Marta, and I told her this when she came and she spoke at Women at the Table last couple months ago. She's like, there's no way she's not going to knock it out of the park. And you did. So thank you. Thanks for being with us and sharing your talents and gifts.
I love that message. And while Marta was talking about just the chaos that we all know when we think about our communities and our world, I also think about the chaos in our own individual lives in different seasons. We know a lot of each other's stories. I feel like I know a lot of your stories. And consecrating that chaos, it's part of the holy work of following Jesus. And I think about the people that I know that are in crisis situations. And God continues to work through them. And community flourishes around them despite the circumstances they're in. I was thinking about when Lynn Giovanelli spoke on New Year's Day and she talked about the idea, not the idea, the truth that God is with us, God's withness. And I thought about that every time you said, Marta, that God's hovering. So in the midst of whatever's going on in our world and in our lives, we can be reassured that God is with us. And when we know that, we can look that chaos in the eyes, like Marta said, no matter what it is, and we can name it. And we can say, this sucks, this is hard. But you know what? We can also hold hope. And we can also be a witness to, and we can see God moving in ways beyond anything we could have ever have hoped or imagined. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And for us, we follow a God that promises to be with us to the end of time. And this God, this Jesus that we follow, had a supper the night before he died. Think about the chaos and the times he lived. And he sat at the table with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup. And after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. When you drink from this cup, remember me. So that's what we do. When you walk forward, you'll be invited to stick your hands in the coffee beans if you want. But you also take that bread, body of Christ broken for you. You'll dip it into the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can be reminded that in the chaos of whatever's going on in your life and in our communities and our world, that this God is with us. And we're following Jesus. Things can be transformed. We just stand and together we'll pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. dawn before the day you go out caffeinated and energized that you go knowing that expecting to meet chaos and being ready to let it not change you 
Don't let it harden you. Don't let it lead you to despair. But show up wholeheartedly. And there may be beautiful, unexpected latte art before you. We're going to close the way that we close every week with our benediction. So if you want to close your eyes and hold out your hands. I don't have it memorized. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've been or the places you stayed, there will always be a seat for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. <laughs>